0: Welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. It's the end of another working week and it's time for On The Road Podcast, show number 136. We've got Andy in with Jordan Merrick, a couple of tunes from Jordan. Adam Gibson, NTI's Transport Research Manager, is in to talk about the spilt milk program. You'll find that very, very interesting. Bob McMillan back with something to talk about. We've got the news, we've got so much happening Let's just get started.
1: Let's get this show on the road. Yes! Get up!
0: G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road,
1: we're
2: listening to the on the road. G'day, it's Andy here once again, introducing you to another homegrown Aussie music artist. And this week I'm catching up with a bloke who's been called Brisbane's Bob Dylan, with his unique sound even being compared to such music legends as Leonard Cohen, Tom Waits and Nick Cave. He's released two EPs, In Colour and Stories from House Arrest, a debut album called Night Music, along with a host of single releases recorded in his home studio. With a totally fresh and unique style and sound that's all his own, he's one incredibly prolific songwriter determined to get his heartfelt musical messages out to all who listen. A unique and amazing storyteller, allow me to introduce to you Mr. Jordan Merrick. Hey, Jordan, it's great to have you join us on the road here. Hey, thanks for having me. Mate, your sound and style has been likened to legendary artists like Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Tom Waits, Nick Cave. That's quite a wrap. No pressure, eh?
3: (laughs) Yeah, no pressure at all, but uh, (laughs) I'll I'll definitely take it. I guess they've all been really big influences on me, so uh, no doubt probably where it all comes from.
2: Yeah. It is a great sound. It's really unique and it's quite fresh when there's a lot of stuff around at the moment that can sound a bit samey. It's very new.
3: Yeah, well, I'm glad you feel that way. I think that's sort of the thing I love about songwriting is just the creation of the sound. I don't really ever try to typecast myself or play any particular genre. It's just all about the song and seeing where it goes itself. I think that's the best part about songwriting is when you can just create for the sake of creating.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. Mm. Mate, a lot of artists spent some time writing new songs during the COVID lockdowns. But you particularly were super productive putting together a whole stack of new material. Obviously, you found a lot of inspiration during those, shall we call them, strange times.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it was yeah, definitely strange to say the least. But I found a lot of, I suppose, uh, more introspective inspiration, which is, yeah, as a songwriter, you're always looking outward and looking for new things and, and waiting for ideas to come to you, whereas this time around, you're just sitting at home and an environment you're just so used to, and you're just not sure what's going on with the world. So it was a bit of a different way of, I suppose, looking for songs. And, yeah, thankfully was able to get a bit of a run-on and time to my advantage. Yeah. But I'd much prefer to be where we are now. For sure.
2: <laughs> well, I guess to some degree it was a little bit like almost a rolling diary for you, wasn't it, when you're doing that introspective thing and looking at how that situation found you and how you were feeling?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It was... In a way, it was, you know, it was like therapy. Yeah. You're going through this worldwide pandemic. You have no idea what's going on. The music industry has just basically fallen apart in terms of the live space. And you just don't know what you've got to do. Yeah. For me, I I literally went back to work full time because I didn't know how long this was going to last. Yeah. I figured I'd have to make money somehow. And I think that was the scary reality of the time. You just didn't know what that would mean for you, especially for someone like a musician who doesn't make a lot of money to begin with. Yeah. It was, yeah, scary to say the least. It was definitely a good time for writing.
2: You quoted as saying, as I've grown older, I found myself questioning what being a good or bad person actually means. Is it as black and white as it seems? Are bad people capable of good things and vice versa? Man, that's seriously
3: deep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh look i think it's just one of those things one thing that i suppose goes back to my mum, if anything is she's always said you know you'll make mistakes but always try to be a good man and yeah i think as i've gotten older that's always stuck with me and it's something particularly around the time when i was writing this song i think i was thinking about a lot more i mean Emily, i only just literally turned 30 a few weeks ago but i feel like when you start to get to your late 20s you start to reflect i suppose like you would before you hit any milestone and yeah yeah, and that's sort of where the song sort of came from and and not just about myself but about society in general and about, you know, what is really sort of, I suppose, important. You know, like good people can do bad things and vice versa. And the conclusion I sort of came to even as I was writing the song is it's all about the choice that you make. Yeah. And if you make the best choice that you can, that's really all you can do sometimes. Yeah. And I think good or bad, you have to then learn from your choices. That's all you can really do, I think, as a human being.
2: Yeah. Well, in the end, it is all about choices and consequences, isn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, sometimes, you, especially with doing the right thing, in fact, I'd say it's more often than not, not the easy thing to do. Mm. So I think that's another thing as well that you have to sort of face up on and accept, I think. But yeah, if you can do that for yourself and then do right by others, I think you're going a long way to being a good person, at least that's the conclusion I came to. (laughs)
2: Yeah, certainly pointing in the right direction. Yeah. Jordan, away from your own music, you're heavily involved with the mental health charity called Listen Up Music. What's that all about?
3: Listen Up, so Listen Up Music, yeah, yeah, mental health charity, but they sort of focus a lot more in the action space as opposed to the awareness space. Mm -hmm. So Listen Up. I suppose their whole idea, particularly in a live format, is giving artists and people a safe space to talk about mental health and sort of normalise it a bit, break the stigma completely, Mm. but also empower people to then seek help and help themselves as well, not just from getting counselling but using resources to help themselves and also Mm. know how to help and direct others towards help. Even now, I think the stigma around mental health has been broken quite a bit in the last five or so years.
2: We've come a long way, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, exactly. But I still think there's a long way to go in the sense to the point where say mental health or depression or anxiety can get to the same level as a a sprained wrist, you know, where you can just talk about it. No one's looked at someone with a sprained wrist and thinks they're weak. Yeah. Or as I think mental health has still got a way to go in that space. I think it's going fantastically in terms of from where it was. But I think charities like us, especially in the musical space is all about making sure people don't see it as weak. If anything, it's strong to be able to talk about it and seek help. Yeah. No one looks at someone with a broken arm and says, well, you're brave for not going to the doctor and getting it put in a cast." So they say, <laughs> you're silly, what are you doing? Yeah. That's sort of our goal is to make sure people can get help I suppose you look at a charity like Support Act, and I think you know they do an incredible job for musicians and providing a helpline. But ideally, people can get the help before they get to the dire straits where they need something like a Support Act. And I think that's where our place in the world of music charities is, is that we want to empower people to get help before it gets to a, a point of almost no return, you know? Yeah. So that's sort of what up's all about. And yeah, I've been involved in one way, shape or form for about four or five years. Yeah, joined the board over the pandemic because I'd sort of gotten a lot more involved in the live event space for them. So yeah, when the opportunity came up to be more formally involved, yeah, I was very excited to take it. Yeah. We run events in pretty well every state. Oh, brilliant. We haven't done Northern Territory or Tassie yet, but yeah, we're working hard to keep growing our live event space. And we actually yeah just announced that we do an annual songwriting competition. And for the first time ever, we're doing a couple of regional locations, which is exciting. So just trying to get to as many places as we can, because I think it's one of those things, Listen Up in particular, is a great charity in theory, but until you actually go to a live event and experience the culture and the environment that the charity creates,
4: yeah,
3: it's very different. And it's something I definitely, I had no idea what I was getting myself into until I went and saw it firsthand. I was just so surprised by how open and comfortable you feel in an environment like that.
2: Yeah. You're spot on there with what you're saying. I mean, the awareness thing has become very good to this point. I guess it's more the acceptance thing now that we need to work on some more.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's baby steps in most ways, but it's progressed nonetheless. As long as we keep progressing as a society, which I'm very sure we will, mm. I think it can only be up from here. Yeah.
2: It's a great thing you're doing. Thanks. <laughs> Mate, we played your song Fault on the show a little while back and got some great feedback from our listeners. but. Fast forward to now, and this week we're here to talk about the brand new single you've just released, Two Hands. We're going to play it shortly, but before we do, you mentioned a little bit about the background behind it before. Mm -hmm. Was it a song that just flowed from you, just came to you in one hit, or was it something you really had to work on?
3: In terms of how I normally go about my writing, it's a very different process simply because I actually started writing the lyrics for it in 2019 of all times. So, um, okay. Before the pandemic. Yeah. But I jotted down just a couple of lines and then sure enough, I lost the notebook that I had written them in. Okay. So uh, and I couldn't remember them and I was, I was so annoyed because I thought, oh, the lyrics are pretty good, but I can't remember what I wrote. Yeah, yeah. And then thankfully with the pandemic, like many people, I decided I need to sort out my life and sort out my storage and thankfully found the lyrics again. Then I obviously completed them. So it was sort of interesting in the sense that I'd written the first half probably when I was really thinking about that question and then I came back to it and I could really reflect on it and sort of wrote mainly the last sort of two verses. Mm. So it was a very interesting writing process because, to be honest, I'd never sort of done that before with a song. So it was very different in that regard. But then musically, it really came together. I sort of had the melody in mind, but then I'm very lucky to have such a great band. Took the song to them and, yeah, just absolutely came alive in the studio.
2: Came together, yeah.
3: Yeah, which was very, very nice. It was one of those songs as well that just turned out exactly how I sort of heard it in my head so it felt like magic in the studio
2: yeah well mate i can relate to your experience i've got a notebook that's absolutely chock-a-block full of brilliant songs that i've written and do you think i can find that sucker nowhere
3: <laughs> it's like that isn't it sometimes but i reckon it'll show up when you least expect it <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully
2: mate where can our listeners go to find out more about you your music and any upcoming appearances
3: Social media is probably most people's go to. So, Facebook and Instagram. Sure. I do have a TikTok, but I'm really not a, a TikToker. So, probably best to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's like, huh, it's not my thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Otherwise, I've got a website, jordanmaric.com.au. Yeah. Pretty much anywhere you find music, you should hopefully find me. And yeah, if you like what you hear, just come say good day.
2: And there you'll find it all. Our special guest this week has been Brizzy bass singer-songwriter Jordan Merrick Jordan, it's been great catching up with you today Thanks for coming out to play on the road with us
3: No worries, thanks for having me on
2: It's time for us to play your new single Would you please introduce it for us?
3: Yeah, thanks again guys, my name is Jordan Merrick And you're listening to Two Hands
4: Two hands Take away your sins Two hands Done before the show begins Two hands Giving our charity Two hands are lifting me up from my knees to hands. Going crazy like sharpeners in guns. Chasing you.
5: Power nap can be
3: your driver fatigue solution. If you're struggling to keep your eyes open while driving, you're in danger of falling into a micro sleep, and the consequences can be fatal. Pull over somewhere safe and take a 15 to 20 minute power nap, and then continue on your journey. Visit our website to learn how to make the best of your power nap.
0: Powernap.org.au. Transport Research Manager at NTI, Adam Gibson. Mate, you change your job titles nearly as many times as I change my underpants. What's going on?
6: Oh, my wife owns the company that prints our business cards. So it's (laughs) it's just about
0: uh, putting bread on the table. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, at least it'll all fit on one page now. So that's good, isn't
6: it? Yeah, no, the, the old uh, nine-word job title's gone. Yeah. So uh, I finally have a normal-sized business card, uh, which is a shame for us because, uh, as I said, we, we used to charge a premium for that big one. I'm sure you did. Fantastically back on, Mike. Uh, great to chat with you again.
0: Mate, we're going to talk about Spilt Milk, which is the latest bit of uh, research uh, you're doing leading towards an education program. Would you like to sort of kick off, mate? No, no, I'm more than happy to, Mike. So the, the background here... Uh, flashback actually to just prior
6: to the 2021 Brisbane Truck Show, and the MBTA had asked me to present on how to measure the safety performance of, in their space, the bulk tanker industry. And their their focus is predominantly on fuel, but with a bit of dangerous goods and some other tanker occupations. And so I pulled some numbers out of our Natasi uh, crash data looking at the relative performance of different occupations in our book. Uh, and what stand out, looking at the the bulk fuel space, they have about a 20% lower frequency of crashes, but because of the severity of those events and the cost of the cleanup, mm. they end up about 1.3 times the cost per powered unit of the average of all of occupations. And that answered the MBTA's question. But what stood out on this graph was bulk dairy transport. Uh, This is predominantly farm pickup, but also a bit of inter-facility transfer work. And we're looking at significantly high both frequency and cost uh, of claims, about two and a half times the frequency of loss compared to the average of all of our occupations, with about double the cost per uh, incident. So you end up about five times the cost per powered unit. And I want to be really clear here, this isn't about the bulk dairy transport industry being bad, it's just almost the perfect storm of a transport task. You've got awkward times of days, like particularly in Victoria, they are essentially running 24 seven. They they hot seat those trucks like you wouldn't believe. Um, Where do we have dairy farms? In areas of high rainfall, typically hilly areas like the Gippsland, often with very poor roads, you're perpetually doing part loads. You're not compartmentalised like a fuel tanker and you're not running either completely full or completely empty like a lot of other bulk tanker tasks. You're picking up 1,000 litres here, 3,000 litres there. So you've got every different possible loading scenario and you essentially don't don't have compartments internally. You'll have some baffles, but even those are relatively widely spaced to facilitate the clean-in-place system, being able to clean the... The tanker internally for hygiene reasons
2: mm.
6: so it's it's a, it's a really tough gig and so we said well is this something that we can influence can we can we bring our expertise to bear um and you know in that space we aren't really i don't know anything about bulk dairy transport nor am i an expert necessarily in uh these sort of crash prevention programs but We're very good at process. So we applied and received uh, funding from the NHVR's Heavy Vehicle Safety Initiative Grant funded by the federal government. Uh, What we essentially set out to do was to build on some really excellent work done a decade or more ago in Victorian forestry, which took what I think is a really smart approach. Start with the consigners at the top. They control the money in those supply chains without their buy-in and participation. You're asking the carriers to do a lot with very little. Mm. Um, And then at the other end, start with your frontline people, particularly the drivers. And then just ask the industry what matters for great safety outcomes. Write down whatever they tell you. Apply a bit of a filter to it put it into neat bundles, and then present those findings back to the industry for a bit of a sense check. You know, Is what we have heard what you think you told us? And that's really where we're up to in the project at this stage. We've done that listening phase. We wrote a report on what we heard in that process. And they really told us that there was sort of six key topic areas where there was opportunities to do things better.
0: Righto, so when you look at the opportunities to do things better, obviously you, you're well aware that I drive tankers when I'm actually driving. Um, uh-huh. and, and I, as you say, don't have the experience of driving around with half a compartment of, of whatever it is we're cutting because we just don't do that. And having some experience driving down around the Otways and, and uh, where the dairy farms are down there, and of course over in, over in the Dandenongs, etc., some hilly, windy roads, little farm tracks, Plenty of opportunities for you to get it wrong, particularly on a rainy or dark or foggy night mm-hmm. or something like that.
6: Yeah, pick up in the middle of winter, it's foggy, it's, dri- it's drizzling. You, maybe you're going to a new property you haven't been to before, so you're on
0: a road you haven't seen. It, it's a tough gig. I can't say I envy the guys that are doing it. I, I, uh, I tend to pull up when it gets a bit foggy and stuff and I'm not happy. So, you
2: know, yeah. well, and that's another part of this thing is
0: we're, we're talking about a –
6: cold supply chain freight task Mm. that's done unrefrigerated so it's also time critical Uh, and the other thing is we've had a really hard time convincing the dairy cows to take weekends off so this is a 365 day exercise the the, the milk can't wait won't wait uh and so this runs 365 days and in many places two shifts a day
0: i did do a little bit of time driving a milk tanker when i was at university at uh bonlack at cobden I think, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's changed names now. I think it's something else. These oh, there's days. been
6: so many so many mergers and acquisitions. It took me about a, a month at the start of this process to track who owns what now.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I, I didn't ever get onto the night shift. I only ever did, did day shift on the weekends, you know. And uh, as you say, the, the tankers are a little bit interesting. They had the the old T-lines and c eighteen hundred internationals and the 17,000-litre high-back tankers. They were a pig of a thing to drive. There's no doubt about that.
6: And the other thing that came up in our discussions with uh, we've had really fantastic support from the two uh, manuf- trailer manufacturers, the dairy tankers in Australia. They've been just amazing right from the outset. But the observation they made is that because permissible masses have gone up a lot faster over the last forty years mm. than lengths have, that the end result of that is that the centroid height, the sort of the um, the centre of the barrel, oh. has actually gotten generally gotten worse, and and that's. Obviously, not ideal from a vehicle dynamics point of view.
0: Well, once you change that centre of gravity higher, and then you add the, the the slosh factor for the want of a better technical mm-hmm. description, it's it is a recipe for disaster. Particularly if you drop a trailer wheel off a side of a road or something mm. like that, it just it's it's one of those things that snowballs very quickly and can become unmanageable almost instantaneously. Well, for those
6: that know him, we're using Alan Pincott, who was yeah. integral with the. The victorian forestry work as a consultant into this project that he talks about the stability triangle mm. but when you tilt that triangle well the height of the center of gravity is the point at the top of the triangle and when you're cornering you're essentially tilting that triangle over a lava the, the infamous copy southbound uh, vic roads tilt that, table that's right yeah and yeah with with a sloshing load that point of the triangle is wiggling side to side uh, just as you're going down the road.
0: Well, the other thing too, uh, people don't seem to realise until they actually drive a tanker is that you get that forward and back motion as well.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in addition to the lateral slosh, as I'm calling it, we've also got longitudinal surge. Yeah, um, so
0: you go into a corner and it might be a little bit might tighten up a little bit on you, mm-hmm. and you hit the brakes a little bit hard. So you so the milk all all of a sudden rushes to the forward and to the outside of the barrel. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a recipe for disaster. The other one i'm interested in and i uh, is
6: if you came down through a a bit of a a, a, a valley or a gully mm. and you got a bit of, a bit of a run on but with a corner just a little bit of the way up the other side which is where you would have the reverse that right as you're trying to tip it around that next bend yeah all of the milk has run down against the back wall mm. and you've got no weight one of the nice things i should flag for anyone who isn't familiar with the design of dairy tankers and i presume that will be most people is the one sort of compartment they have is they have a wall that uh, holds about 9,000-ish litres uh, right at the front of the tank, and they fill that first. Mm. It's then got a port uh, up near the top, basically looks like a letterbox slot, that then uh, spills over into the rest of the tank. So they do, do fill front first, yeah. and that gives good stability and good weight over the drive. But when you've then got probably another 20,000 litres in that rear compartment, When that's half full, you've got 10,000 litres of milk that's able to rush backwards and forwards. That's going to have a a pretty big impact on your cornering stability.
0: We might just take a quick break and, and hear from our sponsors, NTI, and we'll be back right after the break.
6: Good people. There's
2: nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.
0: This is Jordan Merrick and you're listening to On The Road Radio and Podcast. We're back with Transport Research Manager Adam Gibson. What sort of data have you actually collected from the trailers?
6: Ah, well, not one of the things we're looking to do. So actually, I'll, I'll, I'll take back up to the the 30,000-foot view.
0: Yeah.
6: We've got these six key topic areas. Right. Um, Handy to know what they vehicles, are, I suppose, at this point. <laughs> yeah. Vehicles and equipment. Yep. Uh, in that when we chatted with the – we've done uh, a bunch of ride-alongs where we'll spend a 12- uh, or 13-hour day uh, out with the, the drivers, mm. um, that there wasn't as high a level of understanding of the, of the equipment they were using as we probably expected, nor though – and I don't blame them for that. It was really hard for us to find that information. So we will build, one of the things we'll make is some reference material that helps explain the equipment used in the dairy game. The second area was slosh and surge. The third one was electronic stability control, which talks to your question around data from the equipment. The next one was the on the farm risk, the on property risk. I had probably expected going into this project for this pr- project to largely stop at the farm gate. Yeah. But what we heard loud and clear from everyone in the project is that a farm operating environment is every bit as challenging as the on road environment Mm. which is actually a fifth area was on road risks which really looks at all of the other things that a tanker driver is dealing with on the road other than slosh and surge so weather conditions other road users um, bad road geometry all of these sorts of things Mm. the final one and i leave it to last actually because for me it's probably the most important and what we're calling supply chain which is the influence and impact of other parties in the dairy supply chain into the safety outcomes where the outcomes are predominantly worn by the drivers. So this looks at uh, how the consignors have their select carriers and have the, the management discussions with carriers, what sort of information should be going backwards and forwards in those relationships, making it really clear to someone who might be a an expert in making cheese, how pressure and decisions that they make could negatively impact on the the lived experiences of someone very remote to them sitting behind the wheel of a truck out mm. on the road. Calling yep. out really clearly the chain of responsibility obligations of all of these parties, because I don't think that's well understood. And obviously, I think that's been acknowledged by the announcement just recently of some funding specifically to run education for non-on-road parties. But uh, about their chain of responsibility obligations. We still aren't hitting the mark there.
4: Mm.
6: And so that's the, the six areas we're looking at. You, on your question on data, we had a really fantastic experience with the one of the workshop managers from one of the fleets. We've had all of the large dairy fleets in Australia have been just wonderful in their participation. We've got almost all of the large dairy processes. We're out with one of those carriers and sort of said, you know, do you use the data from the smart braking systems? And he went on this absolutely brilliant 10-minute rant about how great the data is because you can see which of these guys is driving the truck well and which of them is beating up on it, you know, driving it like a race car, which is going to be both hard on the gear, it's going to up their maintenance cost, but also come with a significant safety risk. Yeah. Getting there faster is no good if you don't get there at all. Yeah, That was wonderful. I really loved what he said. He was, he was very passionate. But what was interesting for me was that's, the only place in that business where that data was being used. It was only being used really with an eye towards getting the truck back at the end of the day Mm. and ensuring that it wasn't being flogged out prematurely. It wasn't being used as part of their sort of broader safety and compliance or, or driver management discussion. And that's our best case. There was no one else that was doing it better than this head of maintenance. So what we're going to do is we're going to get out, we're going to get him to talk us through how he pulls that data out, along with the relevant experts from the smart braking manufacturers and support people, and then make tools to help pull that data out, process it into a way that's usable and present it back to the drivers. But the the art here, the thing that's so important to me is that it should be a celebration of our best drivers and wanting to help lift the rest up to the level of the best. Yeah. What I don't want it to become is another punitive discussion around being bad. This isn't about that. It's about the analogy I want to draw here is it's a bit like our supercar drivers that at the end of every session or at the end of each race meeting, you're going to sit down, you're going to look at the data from your telemetry and you're going to say, what can I change about how I'm doing my job to make me the best driver that I can be? Yeah. And that's how it should be framed and there are some operators in the forestry game that do that very well Mm. but getting that nuance right making sure that we don't let it become a, a yet another big stick being brought to bear is very important
0: well that's one of the things that i've discovered time and time again whenever you start talking about technology in the cab the first thing a driver starts to think about is well here's another stick that they're going to beat me with and that's when they start to bark and we saw that with, with seeing machines. We've seen it with uh-huh. you know, in-cab cameras. We've seen it with all the technology, even electronic work diaries. The lack of enthusiasm for technology in the cab from the bloke sitting in the driver's seat has been as a direct result because of what you just said about using it as a stick to beat them with, not make oh, them and, and
6: I don't blame the drivers for that at all. The the Some of those implementations have been, at best, clumsy. Yeah, uh, And for me... Really, it's about selling the art of doing this well. Uh, we are better than anyone in the world at trucks in Australian road transport. No one, no one does trucks better than we do, mm. but we don't have a history of being
0: particularly good at people. The amount of money that we spend turning over drivers, the recruitment and the retention of drivers, perhaps if we spent a little bit more time and encouraged drivers that the technology was there and we are gonna use it to help make you better, and if making you better meet you made more money, I think everyone would be a little bit more accepting of it.
6: There are some fleets. So one in forestry that really um, sticks in my mind: absolute top bloke, uh, Daryl Hutton from ANC Forestry, and how he has these chats with his people is best in class for me. And there are carriers that have also learnt that lesson around: if you put the same effort into supporting your people that you put into finding new ones when they leave, everyone's happier and safer. Uh, and more productive it's a win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win a um, one of my fleets in the dairy game actually is is pretty special in that regard i asked them about driver turnover expecting to hear you know maybe 20 percent turnover per annum which is not uncommon in in trucking businesses and they said to me ah oh, yeah turnover yeah well graham's looking to retire in two years time so we'll need to hire someone to replace him yeah that was the level of turnover that they were dealing with yeah, was terrible wasn't it? Uh, and And they, as a result, and they do spend the money they save on supporting their people. so it is it is possible, it's just the exception rather than the rule. And again, the the very design principle of this project is to find those gems where it has worked where we can it's not some theory, this is something that's being lived every day, yeah, and celebrate that to the rest of the industry and say, "Here is a better way. Feel free to ignore it, but we've at least presented it to you and made it as easy as we can." For you to integrate it into how you do business
0: right so where are we then with the, the project the spilt milk project what's the next step and when can we likely see the the uh, final report
6: well the the final output is uh, a suite of resources to support best practice it's it, it'll be there'll be PowerPoint decks for training there'll be videos on technical elements there'll be guidance material on these little Got nuggets of gold that we've found, uh, and they are due for handover early July. We haven't actually looked at exactly what the what we'll do for the final release, but I'm sure we'll we'll make a fair bit of noise around that. In the interim, we are very busy uh, running around making these resources. Uh, we'll have, for example, a dairy tanker specific extension to our trucking basics book. That just went off to production with our graphic designers. Uh, last week so I'm hoping to see some early drafts there. For anyone who's interested in updates you can go to the NTI website to our Better Business Hub and the Spilt Milk page or just google for NTI Spilt Milk and you can sign up for project updates there. For anyone who's a really a dairy fanatic we're working with the Australian Milk Tankers Facebook group my good friend Mick Debenham uh, who's had a lot of involvement with the uh, work around improving Livestock Loading Ramps with the LRTAV uh, is the admin of that group. And so he said he's happy for us to use that as one of our channels of communication. We'll have some of the videos from our ride-alongs with drivers and some of the other activities we're doing coming up there in coming weeks. But yeah, early July, we'll have the release and we'll then hand that back to the industry to say, look, you told us you wanted better information around the equipment here is the best resources we are able to make with tremendous support from manufacturers. You told us you weren't really clear about how to use the data from stability control. Well, cool, here's a step-by-step guide that talks not only about the knowledge and ability space, but the nuance of the discussions that you have once you've got that data and calls out the risk of what how this could go wrong if you make it punitive rather than positive so you'll have that suite of resources for july then the real work starts which is working from consignors through to the senior bosses at the carrier to support them and to help them make this real this only works this only adds value if it actually helps make that whole supply chain better
0: so we end up with this final output i heard that there was a um a video that you had from a, of a truck driving down the road, and then video inside the barrel with a. Ah, with-
6: yes. Uh, this, is, this is, this for me, I think is going to be probably the single coolest thing that we're going to make. Yeah. In talking about slosh and surge, it became apparent that it was really only people's best guesses of what was going on inside the barrel. Um, and so, what we're looking to do is to stick a bunch of cameras on uh dairy tanker and then go and drive a few set bits of road looking at a long constant radius sweeper so you can see all of the milk sitting up on one side as it sort of yeah, moves up wobbles backwards and forwards and then sort of sits up on the wall looking at a series of s-bends as it sloshes backwards and forwards uh, and also looking at under harsh braking that, that forward surge we talked about yeah. earlier yeah. with probably a, two cameras inside the barrel Probably two cameras in the cab one facing forwards one facing the driver and with a drone flying along doing a tracking shot as well all synced up together so you can actually see for the first time the relationship between those driving inputs and the behavior of the load and i think that i'm so keen to see that work i've got to call out that we've actually been beaten to the punch a little bit here uh the crew from byford led by the the amazing gary byford have video they did of a, of a farm pickup run i guess 10 years ago 12 years ago that they provided to us uh really fascinating to watch although the challenge is it was filmed i'm gonna say northwest victoria if i was a betting man i'll say somewhere around Moama, Tongala, that neck of the woods yeah and great video credit to them for making it but the driving itself is really boring because if you anyone who's driven around that neck of the woods knows it is absolutely surfboard flat and there ain't much in the way of winding curvy mountainous roads whereas we'll be filming uh, our tanker video on some roads we've picked up around the uh, Sunshine Coast hinterland uh, with help from one of the carriers based out of there and intentionally choosing short sections of road to drive repeatedly. like so we've got one section which is actually the approach to a big roundabout near the Bruce Highway so we've got about one and a half kilometres of straight road on the lead up to this roundabout and then we've got a left right left in the approach to the roundabout left right left through the roundabout left right left coming off the roundabout and we'll if, if a driver would normally drive that at say 40 kilometres an hour uh, as it is you know, top end speed in a, in a dairy tanker we'll drive it at 20 25 30 35 40 so we can see the difference when the cornering is out of phase with the slosh versus in Phase with the slurry in phase is obviously worse for stability because the milk is essentially leaning out of the corner.
0: So obviously this project is nearing its completion and your work done, mate. What's next?
6: Well, I said, say we'll have to look at how we support the rollout of the outputs of this project uh, across the dairy supply chain. Other pieces in in my world, we'll have our 2023 Natasi report. I'm busily drafting. Uh, that at the moment, and we'll have it's launch sometime mid-year. Um, obviously, we've got the biggest thing coming up uh, in the short term is the Brisbane Truck Show, and we'll have a huge presence there, including our 2023 Motor Neuron Disease fundraising. Uh, resto truck uh, Daphne uh, which is a pretty cool bit of kit uh, which will end up being we'll sell tickets at the truck show and it will uh, be drawn at uh, the Townsville Viet yeah, Supercar ground so I encourage everyone to get in and support that it's a really fantastic cause um, and then I'm off I think the next thing I've got after that is I'm off to Western Australia uh, for the LRTA WA ALRTA combined conference over there, always keen to get over there. Although I think my mate Yogi will be over east with you at the casino truck show that day. So uh, I'll have to keep an eye out for him uh, as I'm flying over.
0: He's deliberately avoiding you. That's what it is. I mean, I would too. Um, (laughs) I'll have to have 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 words with my friend Yogi avoiding me like that. No, no, it's all good, mate. We've got something very, 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 very important happening at Casino. Stay tuned, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the show again, Adam. It's always a pleasure to, to talk to you about things. I always come away better informed and uh, I'll be looking forward to catching up with you at the truck show.
6: No, look forward to it. We'll, we'll have to to catch up for a, a chat and a cold one. Mm. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to catch up again on the show once we've got the, the resources all finalised. I hope, I hope, and the real test will be some of the drivers that I've had the the pleasure of jumping in with for a day. Mm. Is if they reach out and tell me that I've stuffed it, I'll be I'll be pretty heartbroken. But I'm hoping, my, my, my real hope is that at the
0: end of this, they say, mate, you've done good. I would think that you would because I've never seen anything you've done badly yet. But anyway, there you go. All right, mate, we'll catch Thanks, you later. Mate. Have a great day. See you on the road. Sitting in the morning sun.
1: I'll be sitting when the evening comes, watching other trucks roll in. Then i watch them roll away again. I've been backed up to this dock all day, just watching the other trucks roll away. I've been sitting at the dock all day, just wasting time. Nothing's gonna go my way I've been sitting at the dock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time Looks like nothing's gonna change I can't do what Dispatch wants me to do So I guess I'll just make them pay Sitting here With Dispatch on hold Lord you know That this shit's getting old Two million miles I've roamed Just to make This truck my home I've been dock all day, just watching the other trucks roll away. I've been sitting at the dock all day, just wasting time.
2: Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcast every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the
4: industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you.
5: Hi there. The late, great Sir Joe Bielke-Peterson, well, I thought he was great. Not everyone did, of course. He once said that you can't legislate against stupidity. And I'm sure he's right. I also think that you can't legislate against desperation. And there seems to be plenty of that going on at the moment for lots of reasons. But anyway, go back to stupidity. I'm on record for saying that cartage rates and contract rates that are low stay low because people keep working for them. And Michael Kane, in his interview with Mike Williams, uh, this week, just passed, said that uh, one of the problems the union are trying to deal with is the gig economy. And, of course, there's probably two things going on here with both the gig economy and low rates in road transport, any sort of transport. What came first, the stupidity or the desperation? Were these people desperate because they made stupid decisions in the past or were they stupid because they allowed themselves to get desperate? But anyway, um call it stupid, call it desperate, call it unfortunate, call it what you will. We need to see something happen, and this is where my thought bubble about maybe looking at things from the top down rather than the bottom up might have some merit. Maybe we need to s- sort of bring around some a situation where people aren't being offered these things so that they don't have to make a choice whether they're f- making a stupid one or a desperate one, whether They're making it through lack of training or lack of knowledge or lack of anything other than that they need to have some dollars. Maybe there should be a way, and it doesn't matter whether we are talking about the gig economy or the transport economy or anything else. These big companies, these big organisations offering uh, lower than reasonable rates of pay or remuneration or contract rates or savvy rates, whatever you want to call them, They all know what the real costs of operation are. They've got finance departments and accounts departments and financial managers and consultants and all the wherewithal in the world to know exactly what it costs to operate in the environment they're they're dealing in. And, of course, the reason they're using subbies in many ways is because they feel they can rip them off and save themselves money rather than paying the full amount of running their own gear. But there's also companies out there who do pay the right money that only use subcontractors when and if they need them. And uh, I won't name those companies, but many of them are good friends of mine, and I've worked for them quite successfully. The large companies that are, whether it's gig economy or transport economy, I said, if they had to justify the offers they were making and justify that they were realistic in terms of the cost of living, in terms of the the relevant awards, in terms of the cost of operation, and of a line or vehicle, whether it's local or long distance doesn 't matter; they all know the costs, and all that you would have to do is make them justify those costs, plus say ten percent for admin where where the person was self employed You could rape in the companies that are capitalizing on on immigrants coming into the country and ripping them off as well. Michael Kane talked about having somewhere to go he he was it was more realistic and relevant than many other union people are at the moment and while he's not in charge of the TWU, it might be nice if he could get some of his mates lower down the food chain to sing from the same page. But he realises the problems that came with the RSRT and where it was headed and, and how it was convoluted. What we really need to be able to do is have... And this, this fits well in with Michael Cohn's suggestions in his interview. We need to have somewhere where we can make the large companies on a quarterly or monthly basis, justify what the costs are, what the real costs are to operate the sort of uh, businesses they're looking to employ, the contractors they're looking to employ, and certify those, not as minimum rates or anything else. Certainly, they could be suggested rates. The People who are being offered stuff that isn't right need to be able to know that they can go somewhere and there's something to reference to say, yeah, well, that was a fair offer or that wasn't. Then we'll take away the need to legislate against stupidity. We'll take away the need for people to become stupid or desperate, whichever came first. And we might be able to make something out of my thought bubble about working from the top down rather from the bottom up. Minimum rates, suggested rates, are are difficult because everyone's cost base is different. The other issue is that the cost base of jobs are different. Like it costs more to cart bananas to Perth than it does coal from the Barragarang Valley to... uh, to Port Kembla or, or wherever, you know. It costs less to cart gravel from Townsville to uh, to Early Beach and things like that. So there needs to be a justification from the companies for the rates they're offering, not not a, a mechanism to prevent people from accepting them. And then maybe we'll get somewhere. Maybe when we, we can get some integrity and some ethics and some honesty back into the system from the top down, people won't be getting ripped off because uh, it won't be worth the trouble. I hope this can work. Thanks for listening.
2: Here on the road, it's time for the news. G'day, Mike. Nice to join you at the news desk again, particularly as the weather is finally starting to cool down again.
0: Yeah, looks like we're heading towards some uh, some cooler temperatures, mate. I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I be able to cover my legs up with the with the warmer pants, so that stops scaring the neighbours and stuff.
2: Get the big boy pants on, yeah. I'm, right. I'm the same, mate. I can't stand the heat. I like the cold. It's been so mm. hot up here, even the Jehovah's Witnesses have started telemarketing. <laughs> yeah, they have. I let the dogs out for a pee the other day and two trees started fighting over
0: them. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I even started using a different deodorant in each armpit, but that's just my two cents worth. <laughs>
0: Oh, Jesus, really? Can we, can we stop now? <laughs> we'll just leave it there, will we? Just yeah. leave it there, mate, please. That's probably a good idea. I'm not sure I can handle it.
2: Mike, our mate Lex Forsyth from Janus Electric has stated that he's aiming to have charge and change stations for trucks on all the main freight routes along the East Coast by early next year.
0: He absolutely is. Look, as I've said in the past, I love what Janus Electric are doing. I love the concept. Hmm. This this whole whip a battery out and put a new battery in. I think that they've shown that this can work. The only thing that's stopping it from really going ahead now is obviously it takes them a little while to build these trucks, and there's no one else doing it. Hmm. And it's it's the the range on the things. Now they'll do four hundred to six hundred kilometers, depending on on what they're towing and and that sort of thing. We've got to get these charge and change stations in place. Hmm. Once once that happens, then there's going to be people using them, as he said. Um, he's got several hundred trucks on order, apparently. I don't know. You know. There's a customer in Adelaide, apparently, that wants 100 trucks for running around Adelaide. So, I mean, there's a big, big, big future in, in uh, what Lex is doing. I understand there's some opportunities, and this is not a – you know, I'm, Lex has certainly not paid me for the plug. I just believe that what they're doing there is just awesome – yeah. And, you know, you can go and you can invest in the business by buying batteries or buying shares in batteries, et cetera. And, you know, it's it's a proven concept now. The the, the trial of the Western staff for Wholesome, carton a tipper around, it was a success. And I think that when you stop and have a look and see what some of the advantages are over some of the other trucks in the electric market, I think it's pretty easy to see that from an ownership point of view, it's got a hell of a lot going for it.
2: Yeah, it has. I'm surprised they haven't started talking about a similar sort of system for cars too with the swap and go situation rather than the, the sit and wait for hours while you charge
0: up. Yeah, well, this is, the, this is an interesting point, isn't it? I mean, hmm. you have a look at uh, – you know, people are very fond of putting pictures of whole paddocks full of cars that aren't cost-effective to replace because the battery's worth as much as the damn car. Yeah. You know, so if you can swap the battery out, if the car itself is okay – and you can swap the battery out, then you can maximise your advantage of the car. It's going to be one of those things that's going to limit the resale value of these cars depending on how many cycles the batteries have
2: had. Yeah.
0: The other part about it is, and Lex told me last time I talked to him, when these big truck batteries are sort of two-thirds of the way through their life, they would withdraw them from the on-the-road fleet, and then they mm. would turn them into battery banks to store power with. Okay. So there's a big advantage all around. The way it works and the fact that you can draw the power at off-peak times and, you know, there are a lot of advantages to it. And when they get these things, robot, you know, uh, robotized, whatever that word is, um, mm-hmm. where the robots are changing them instead of someone with a forklift, you line up and it's all done with, the, you know, the laser pointers and things like that. Um, yep. and you pull up in the grid and the arm comes and grabs the battery and takes it away and puts another one on. It's only going to take minutes to change these things over. Everyone a couple says, more jobs gone. Oh? Eh? Yeah, a couple more jobs gone. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but you know, we, we stand beside trucks for 20 minutes putting diesel in them. Some blokes often do that every day. There's a whole conversation to be had around it. but There is. I could just see the advantages. They're talking about various locations on the road where they're going to put these things. There's more than enough written about it. Just Google Janus Electric and you'll find any amount of stories about it including the one that's coming out in uh, New Zealand Trucking Magazine, which I wrote uh, not long ago about the log truck in uh, Mount Gambia. So, yeah.
2: Mike, when it comes to the sales of heavy-duty trucks, for the second month in a row, Kenworth has found itself in second place behind Volvo.
0: Yeah, they have. That's scary, isn't it? Mm, I didn't think you'd appreciate that. No, I'm not. I, I, well, I'm, I'm torn, mate. The Volvo are making a half-decent truck these days. Hmm. Uh, 300 300 odd sales 305 sales or something in March Kenworth only getting 300 I say only 300 prime movers in the market that we've got now isn't too bad No, 748 for Kenworth and 745 for Volvo so Kenworth is still in front Um, this is all information from the Truck Industry Council but I mean you look at what's coming along behind Kenworth and Volvo Hmm. Isuzu were just caning it as well They've mm. sold nearly two hundred, and the, the truck sales for Scania and Mercedes have fallen off a little bit. Mac would have to be unhappy being back there with only eighty-eight when you consider Volvo and and Kenworth have sold you know three hundred plus. Mm. And I mean, the DAF product is a is a Kenworth thing anyway. But if you look down further, or even further down the line, look at where Freightliner is. They're like tenth or something. It's ridiculous. Why, yep. man, Western Star dragging up the back only fifteen. Hyundai have sold one truck. Is there any point even having a Hyundai dealership in Australia? One, one heavy truck. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And but they're not that they're not that bad a truck. I've actually had a look inside one of those Hyundai Prime Movers, hmm. and really speaking, they're no they're no worse than anything else. <laughs> you know, they just yeah. just don't have the name, I suppose. Yeah. So the year to date, we've sold like ten and a half thousand trucks that have been delivered around Australia, which is you know, a thousand, one and a half thousand or so more than the same time last year. We we're actually up quite a bit, mm. and um, in the marketplace we've got with the interest rates going up and you know all that sort of stuff. It certainly certainly displays to me that there's a, an amount of confidence in what we're doing. You look at all those businesses that are falling over, yeah. and their good second-hand trucks are ending up at the auction house. Mm. How long is it taking to get a new truck? That's the question. Mm. I honestly think that. We'll be looking to see some changes with some cancelled orders and things like that because you can you can bet that, you know, the likes of Scots would have probably had a few new ones on order. Well, they'll have to go somewhere else. Anyway, we'll wait and see what happens. But, yeah, Volvo knocking off Kenworth. Who knew? Fancy
2: that. Hmm. Well, you spoke there of Mac maybe being a bit concerned. We, we probably should be getting Hamish Blake from that Lego show on TV to introduce this one. Yeah. So there's a plan to create a new Guinness World Record by building the biggest truck ever made from Lego in the shape of a Mac Anthem.
0: Yeah, well, it's well and truly on its way. They're going to turn <laughs> one million Lego bricks <laughs> into a Mac Anthem. Apparently, you'll be able to sit in there and sit in the seat and hold the steering wheel in your hand. It's going to be a world record, four metres tall, two metres wide, eight metres long. They've bought the, a professional brick builder in. <laughs> It's a professional Lego brick builder. Oh, they- I don't know. Do they get brick band, do they? Off the, off the... <laughs> probably, <laughs> what a but can, can you imagine? I can't imagine putting that much Lego together. I really can't. No. no, it wouldn't be light either, would it? Oh, well, one good thing, it'll never rust. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mac Anthems won't rust, yeah. Um, you know, the, it's an incredible thing. I'd love to see it, but I just can't imagine. I mean, what's well, going to be at the motor at the Brisbane truck show mode? Well, we're going to see it then. We'll yeah, have yeah. to we'll have to walk. We'll have to make a point of, of walking up and say we'll we'll get the uh, get the air start sound effect, mm. and walk up there and have a look at it. I think.
2: I Wonder if it's got an ashtray. <laughs> 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 no, just just thinking.
0: I just wonder what they're going to do for a windscreen and that. Will they put a windscreen out of a real truck in it? I wonder. I don't know. Well, they've got
2: clear plastic bricks in the Lego, haven't they?
0: I don't know. I mean, they've got to have little join and mark stuff in them. I wouldn't be surprised if you see it with a real windscreen in it. Oh, it's going to be exciting to see it. Hmm. I'm looking forward to it now. You've got me. Mike,
2: hmm. a 59-year-old veteran truckie has had to make some major changes in his life and career after suffering a major health scare. And we're hearing more stories like this, mate.
0: We talked about this the other week, about uh, Nicholson and Page you know, sending some trucks to the auction, downsizing, all the rest of it. Well, now they're talking about why that's happened. Hmm. Graham is a fifty-nine-year-old, so he's about the same age as me, a little bit younger than me. Younger had a only a young fella, yeah. Hmm. Had a life-changing event, and he's come out and talked about that. And uh, apparently, he got very close to uh, meeting his maker. He's had a bit of a bit of a change of heart about life and things like that. He's decided to go down the road of de-stressing, and I can't say I blame him. Hmm. Um, I certainly am quite happy to. I was quite happy to de-stress. Makes you actually think about. The things that you value in life, and uh, we're here for a, a short time, and uh, you're not going to have a good time if you're, uh, well, if you end up in a box, it's pretty much over. What's the point, you know? So mm, mm. he said it's pretty dark on the other side, very quiet, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise, he said. <laughs> so apparently he went to the other side for a little while, and they uh, they gave him a bit of a jump start and, and got him back, so apparently mm. he, was, uh, he was gone for like 90 seconds doesn't sound like very long, but it's a long time. Believe me, uh, in my former life when we were resuscitating people, 90 seconds goes by fairly quickly. But for the body, it's a uh, quite a long
2: time. If you're not sure if you're coming back, it's forever. Yeah.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, if uh, look, we could talk about the a lot, but I don't really want to talk about that with this story. What I want to talk about is other observations that he's made. Obviously, he's got guys that have been working with him for a long time and he wants to keep his business going, but he wants to cut back. Hmm. I love the bits where he's sort of saying that he doesn't believe that the customers are always right. And it's about time that we as an industry sort of started to, to question what the customers want and tell them what we need. And he's a hundred percent right with that. And he's saying that, you know, compliance has done nothing for the industry. Uh, it's the greatest debacle he's ever come across. He says a lot of things that we've been saying out loud for a while. You know, he said that he's got a 610 Kenworth with drop deck trailers and he's been, he's been knocked off for being 100 millimetres over length. Well, I'm thinking to myself, if you're within 100 millimetres of that thing, you're getting a little bit too close anyway, aren't you? Four inches.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: You're trying to be legal all over the place. And then he's also saying if you put an A-trailer on that combination, uh, so it's got two A-trailers and a B-trailer, you go out to 35 metres and you're legal to drive them the same length of road. There is no logic at all in some of this stuff. And of course, then he starts talking about the smaller blokes trying to get into the PBS performance-based systems trucks, and they just can't afford to do it. They can't afford to compete with some of these companies. Therefore, they go and offer these stupid rates to the clients. They expect everyone else to comply with it. And it's just a, it's a dog-eat-dog dog race to the bottom world, which ends mm. up with companies like AHG destroying companies like Scott. And we're seeing it happening over and over and over again. There's a shortage of trucks, there's a massive amount of freight around. If you can negotiate good rates, there's still good money to be made, and that has always been the case. The the problem with it is is we've got guys who don't know how much it costs to run their trucks. Yeah. Well, in
2: late news, mate, uh, well, I say late news as you're listening to this, guys, it was probably a couple of days ago, but (laughs) from the big, weird, wide and wonderful world of Twitter, news coming through about a massive cyclone brewing off the Kimberley Coast in WA.
0: Yeah, uh, look, all we want to say about it is you need to really have a bit of a look at what's going on up there. Check, if you're going up north, up through the middle, up towards Darwin, or you're heading up into the northwest of Western Australia... uh, Do yourself a favour. This is the time of the year where you do need to start looking at the Bureau of Meteorology charts and just checking the access to some of the places you go. And obviously the guys that run up there all the time know about that and they know to check, but it's not the place to get it wrong. It's not the place to be out there on your own. Unless you've got uh, a satellite telephone, you can be in trouble and you can be there on your own for a little while, particularly if you get off the beaten track a little bit. So. Have a bit of a think about where you're going and what you need to do. Look at the Bureau of Meteorology. That's about all we can say. Yep. And uh, take some advice from the locals if if you pull up at uh, somewhere in the locals say, "Oh, geez, I wouldn't go out there if I was you." Then, well, probably a good idea not to go there. <laughs> you know, no, true enough. Well,
2: they've dubbed it Cyclone Tropical Cyclone Isla. I S L A. Yep. Isla. Yep. Uh, calling it a once in a decade tropical cyclone and it's meandering off mm. the Kimberley coast but predicted to intensify and become a severe tropical cyclone before the end of Wednesday, according to the Bureau of Meteorology. The Category 2 system, dubbed Tropical Cyclone Isla is currently 355 kilometres northwest of Broome and is expected to cross the coast in between Broome and Port Hedland late Thursday evening or early Friday morning. So that is pretty current, that warning.
0: Yep. Hmm. Just have a bit of a look and see, uh, see how it's going, I suppose. And that'll be that, eh?
2: Yeah, put your, your chin strap under your chin for your hat or you'll lose it.
0: Yeah, it might need more than floaties if you get caught up in it. So. Yeah, true enough. Mm. Thought for the week, Mike. Okay.
2: These mountains that we carry around, remember we were only supposed to climb them.
0: <laughs> That's true. That is it very, very true. Very, very true. It was on
2: the subject of stress.
0: Some things we do hang on to.
2: We do.
0: I was having a look at uh, just rubbish on the internet like I do hmm. and I, I just came across this thing on ancient wisdom because I, I got interested in the de-stress thing, you know, like we were talking about when I was looking at that that uh, Nicholson and Page story.
4: Hmm.
0: I read this thing. It's an old sort of Chinese thing, I suppose. God knows. We all assume ancient wisdom is all Chinese. <laughs> but apparently happiness lies in wanting what we have, loving what we do, and enjoying being who we are. And I can't think of a better way to put it than that, can you? No, it sounds pretty spot on. Yeah, so mm. I suppose we sort of need to just sort of see the see the silver lining, I suppose that's the better part of it, isn't it, really? more yep. more modern way of putting it. Yep, chill out. Well, it's always a silver lining talking with you, mate.
2: And and as it is with you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the check's in the mail, mate. It's all good. Good man, appreciate it. Thanks for coming and doing the news with me again, Andy. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I'll, I'll see you on the road, But
2: You will indeed. Take it easy.
0: Looking at the Lego. See you. See you. Line
4: number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better.
2: We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, G'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well.
4: Oh, am I the only one who says I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, hey, I'm fine, but I'm not. So let the truth be told.
2: Back with another great track is this week's featured Aussie music artist Jordan Merrick with Low Country.
4: She's got a mind as hot as the sun A soul
2: Proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.